Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero, Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Murguia family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington. Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is Coach V and UWEA. Washington welcomes the number 18 Utah Utes to town. They send them packing 35-28. This game could have looked a little bit different if somebody holds onto the ball for another nine feet. But either way, Washington again with another ranked victory, another close one where the wind seemed to affect early. Utah did some things that I think were a little surprising to Washington, mostly throwing the ball downfield. The adjustments were made. Utah scored zero points in the second half. Coach, what's your overall take of this game? I'm just, I'm grateful that we finished off 10-0 and 0, uh, after the day. Um, really frustrated with assignment details and tackling. Um, I thought the only thing that stopped us on offense was either maybe a little bit of just wind or... Utah's defensive backs <laughs> or receivers the entire day. Yeah. Um, honestly, I just felt like we were the better team from the start. We didn't play like it in the first half, but you know, hats off to the defense in the second half, not giving up any points. So um survived in advance and uh big one in Corvallis next week. Your words to God's ears, coach, because gosh, we played pretty well, played well enough to win, but um it should have been a lot more. Well, we can talk about it in detail in this conversation, but, you know, we, we left a lot of points on the board. Um, the PAC 12 refs prove once again, that they don't know what holding and pass interference are. Um, but you gotta, you gotta be able to shake those plays off. And for the most part, we did that at the same time, I feel like it could have been a three score game, but we're still talking about a seven point win. So I'm grateful for that. And all of you, managed to tolerate and withstand my mood swings during the game. So 25%. Zero <laughs> percent. That's right. Uh Leah, what was the atmosphere like at the stadium? I will say like I know that a lot of people had some unpleasant fans. I'm talking about Hood specifically with Utah fans, but I had really good experiences with Utah. And unlike I want to say that team down south, Utah fans stayed until the very end. Everybody, everybody wearing red all of them stayed until the game was over. And that is a credit to just the, the culture of their fans. They were loud when they needed to be. They started chants when they needed to. And they cheered hard for their team. And they weren't like ridiculously obnoxious. They were just good fans. So uh, there was a really good environment for the team. And like, uh, I, would, I would say it's about 65,000 fans there. It was a sellout, but not everybody came. So it was pretty noisy when it needed to be. But um, nowhere near Oregon level, or I would say even Arizona State level, I feel like we actually had a lot more fans there. But it was a really good game. And we got to have a flyover. We had pretty much every single type of weather that you could see in about four hours. It started off with wind and patchy blue skies. And then we got 
some dark gray clouds and some rain and wind. Wind was there throughout, but like we saw a lot of different things weather-wise and everyone stayed. So it was great. How windy was it? Like, how did it feel? Um, I, I sit pretty high up, so I can't feel it a lot. But if I if my weather app is correct on my phone, throughout the game, it was uh, about 15 to 18 mile an hour winds sustained. I don't know what the gusts were, but that's about the constant throughout the game. Washington's 10 and 0, and that's a gigantic deal. It hasn't happened since obviously the 1991 season. I don't remember the 1991 season. Uh, my elder statesman here might have a little bit more. Looking at the scores and talking to players on the 91 team and, you know, my dad and everybody that I know that's a little bit older and was there for, for the 91 time, they dominated almost every single game. This team is not doing that, but I want to talk to you guys. What do you guys see that's the same about this team and maybe some differences that you see? <laughs> uh, direct comparison. Um, you know, everybody remembers the defense was the most dominant thing in college football. Right. They're also number two in the nation in scoring at like 42 points a game. And I think the number one team was like the lower division, like Pacific or somebody like that. Um, the one constant I can say that like transfers from both teams is the offensive line. I think, uh, you know, with Lincoln and Soup Malamal at the tackles, Chris Rongin, Pete Caligas, Ed Cunningham, they just were a cohesive unit, dominant unit. They just, they did the job against everybody. And this offensive line is doing a fantastic job as well. Not the, you know, we still have a couple guys that are, you know, kind of under the radar. And we definitely don't have, you know, somebody who who stands out like Lincoln did. But Troy and, and Roger on the outside are just, are doing a fantastic job. And we've got a true freshman center that um, is living up to Ed Cunningham, anything he ever did in a, in a Husky uniform. So. Um, I would say that those are the similarities, um, good receivers on the outside, but these ones might be more talented, more versatile, definitely, uh, you know, just a couple things here and there defensively doesn't look anything like it, honestly. Right. I was not really, I, I was alive and, you know, 10 when that happened, but I was not into my caring about sports era yet. Um, but from what I hear, the defense was really the star of the show for the most yeah. part. And as much as we'd like to say, like, you know, we have a, we have a decent defense. They're not they're not like the worst thing in the world. But the first half left a lot to be desired. The second half was fantastic. And if we can, as you said, Trevor, in your opening, hold on to the football for uh, six to nine more feet, then we're talking about a different story right now. But um, for the most part, I mean, it's it's a solid team. It's not dominant. But I also feel like the way that national championships teams look right look like right now in this era of football they don't tend to be like we had in washington 1991 where like we are really dominant we score 42 points a game we hold our opponents to a really low number that doesn't tend to happen i mean some teams do that but it's it's pretty rare so yeah, we, we have something in a bottle and some of that has to do with the allocation of scholarships correct coach i think most of all it has to do with the advancement of offensive football not only with the intricacies of the systems, but the rules changes over the years that have just made it impossible to shut people down on a regular basis, unless you're just this, you know, Alabama slash Georgia at their peak, five stars everywhere where you can just impose your will physically at the line of scrimmage. It's just not going to happen like that. Well, 
I got to say, it feels really good to be here right now. I think Washington still has another gear on both sides of the ball. Starting out talking about the defense, they gave up 28 points in the first half. Not anything like what I was expecting. Um, Bryson Barnes did most of his damage uh, in that first half, going deep a few times. I think catching Washington off guard uh, going deep in those situations. But really what it came down to was a lot of missed tackles. You talked about assignment discipline, coach. What do you mean by that? And was it as simple as the the adjustment being made at halftime of just tackling better? Um, some of that. Um, <clears throat> for example, when you see like a corner who's 15, 12 yards off the ball and then they throw a hitch in front and EJ got victimized because he was so far off and they threw the hitch. And as a corner, you're 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 when you're coming up in support either in the run or or tackling a receiver, you've got to target the outside hip because the sideline is like your friend, you know, but you got to push everything back inside. Well, he came in too far from too far out of control, let him get outside of him, let him make a move on him, miss the tackle, and he's down the sideline. All of a sudden, Utah's got confidence. There are some issues with just the way they leveraged uh, the, uh, the, I think the very next play, the tight end ran a little, yeah. little flat route, just straight out and uh, Jabbar leveraged and he turned up for, you know, 12, 13 yards. And now they're, in, you know, inside the 15 or whatever. It's just, uh, you know, maybe they didn't expect him to take it, any deep shots on him, but at the same time, he has stuff to be in position to make these plays. Dom, you know, came up with a game winning interception. I, I love everything he does and, you know, for our defense, um, on one of the deep balls, he just completely misread it, you know, went the wrong way and they got, you know, over his head. Those are things that, you know, shouldn't really happen, but for some reason, you know, uncharacteristically, like it just seems like this team finds a way to let teams hang around when they probably are low percentage plays. Um, and the tackling absolutely was not up to par, especially in the secondary. There was at least one picture floating around, uh, Twitter of Chuck Morrell and Nick Holt. And that's kind of what it looked like, especially in the, I mean, obviously in the first half with how far off they were. Why do you think either of you, why do you think that that was the approach giving that much space uh, to an offense that really hadn't done much outside of an Arizona state game? But I think that's probably why you just said it right there, Trevor. Like they didn't think they, maybe they didn't have a lot of respect for Utah's passing game and clearly they had to make adjustments at halftime and credit to the staff and the kids for making those adjustments. But it, it should have been able, you we should have been able to tweak it a little bit before that. I, I don't know why we gave them so much space. Go ahead, coach. Early in the game, they, they kind of came out and they pressed them a little bit and they were a little bit off and, they got some punts and it was like, okay, cool. We're going to dominate these guys. Yeah. As soon as EJ missed that tackle and they got downfield, mm -hmm. pass, it just felt like they chickened out of it. Mm. They just decided, mm. you know what, maybe they can get behind us. And they have a couple athletes like, you know, Vaki and whatnot, but this wasn't the USC. So this wasn't Troy Franklin. You know, these weren't a bunch of dudes who are going to get drafted in day one, day two of the NFL draft you really absolutely cannot back down from those guys because eventually, and they should have taken a cue from the Utah defense. If they're going to go out and be physical and, and, and hold guys and, and ride them into the boundary, why the heck couldn't we? It's a great point. I have no idea. I, I just thought it was the wrong tax to take. Mm 
and it cost them for, you know, half the football game. Going into the second half, Washington really put the clamps down on uh, this Utah offense. Utah finished. uh, Let's see here. Where's the half? They went punt, punt, interception, safety, punt, interception uh, in the second half. Let's talk about Alfonso Tupatala because I think that uh, Mario Bailey with the honks had it right. He did have the play of the game, regardless of him getting into the end zone, which was, you know, the last time I remember seeing that it was Utah, Oregon, Oregon. And, you know, that I think it was on, a, it was an interception or a fumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought it all the way back down and Oregon actually picked it up and, and went the length of the field. But Mario's point was that stopped a drive where Utah was at the 24 yard line of Washington. Uh, and they started the, the next drive at the one granted, we should have had seven more points, but Washington was able to, on the next play, get a ton of pressure, uh, a ton of push on the defensive line, uh, ending with, was it Ulamu Ale and, um, Carson Bruner who, uh, got the TFL. It was Thule. It was Thule. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Which put Washington up seven and those were the last points scored in the game. <clears throat> Although it was a very bad play and even Kalen DeBoer during that fourth quarter interview uh, even said that, you know, one of the, you know, one of the adjustments they're going to make is make sure that they carry the ball all the way uh, past the goal line, which Mm -hmm. I thought was kind of funny that he said that, but it did set Washington up to go up seven and uh, essentially end the game. What are your guys' thoughts on that whole situation? I was super happy that the very next play after Zoe made that brain fart, without really needing to talk about it, we all rallied together as a team and made that play to go up a full score. Um, that's pretty much, I mean, the the fact that we won the game is one of the reasons why we're really not talking. Mean, it was a huge mistake, but it wasn't one that cost us the football game and blessings to us that it didn't. But um, I really just really appreciate the culture of the team of just like, okay, that was less than ideal and we're going to go take care of it. Um, but, you know, again, like, like you said, Trev, that Caitlin DeBoer talked about it, about how, how they're going to coach the team in the future to like all the way through the end zone. Perfect. That's what you need to do. I do like that. It was a teachable moment that didn't cost Washington a game. Cause you, you get that will not mm-hmm. happen again. Uh, if Alponzo Tupatala ends up with another situation where he's going to have a pick six, he will av- absolutely probably carry it all the way to uh, his linebackers coach. Um, oh yeah. Or, just, or hand the ball to his, to the official right there. I just, I don't know if he played a lot of offense at Federal High School. What I do know is this might have been the last chance in his life to score a touchdown in a football game. And he dropped it at the two, two and a half yard line. And my heart went out to the kid. I freaked out because I saw it in Me real too. time. I was like, no, 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 no. And I see one guy run by and I see Dom run by. And then I see Muhammad running for his life, sprinting yep. into the picture and it was too late. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we just can't have an easy game against these guys. I got to tell you, I was, we had a situation where we had to go down to uh, my in-laws house this weekend. And uh, my wife and her sisters were making a whole bunch of freezer meals. So I was in charge of the sleeping baby and he was asleep in my arms. And when he dropped the ball, I stood up and started snapping and 
trying to keep the baby asleep while trying to get my brother-in-law to understand what just happened. And the baby woke up. Um, so uh, lost that round. Thank God it didn't it didn't uh, affect the game outside of making it a two score game, which is always good for the resume. But shoot, it's a it's a number 18 team in the country. So I'm going to take it mm-hmm. offensively. Washington, namely Michael Penix, really uh, was thrown off, at least in the beginning of the game with the wind. But man, uh, he figured it out in in a few key situations, and that throw to Rome across the middle, uh, about a forty three yard dime, was not only just beautiful to watch, but it it actually kind of bent my mind watching it because I thought originally he was going to the other guy crossing in front, uh, and it ended up being just a perfect throw to the end zone. What do you guys have on Mike's performance? I think when you have to play against the elements, it's always really impressive, regardless of where you're playing. It could be at home or elsewhere. But um, this is there's nothing that this guy can't tackle and have a good attitude about and come out on top for. And wind is one of those things where you can't really simulate that in practice. You can simulate having a wet ball and you can certainly practice in the rain in Seattle, but you can't plan on wind. And that's tough to practice against and it's tough to simulate. So being able to do that and be successful and, you know, having a right receiver like Rome who just wins the 50, 50 balls better than anybody else in the country. And I don't care what Oregon fans say. He's just, he's the best wide receiver in the country. Um, And then also just, I think our kind of the unsung hero of the offense has been our tight end room. They continue to show up for just clutch situations, whether it's dev or Jack Westover um, just, fourth down plays those guys have sticky hands so shout out to them yeah um it was really clear early on the ball was taking a little bit of a u-turn you know especially on some of the longer outside the hashes throws and they had to kind of you know account for that and figure it out the the play you were talking about earlier the on the post to Rome, where he looked one way and then almost flat-footed like changed direction and, wow. and just swung it and it was like <laughs> it's windy and you put the ball there? Okay, cool. The kid throws the tightest spiral in the league, therefore it's going to cut through the wind. But as, as uneven as that first half was, and I'm looking at this right now, 457 yards total offense, 26 first downs, and we beat Utah in time of possession almost 35 minutes to just over 25. That's not how Utah wants to play, obviously. Um, got 100 yards from Dylan again, and uh, – you know, I thought Mike did a great job. There's a couple of throws he wants back, obviously. The two-pointer that was a little bit behind Cope and he couldn't, you know, wrangle it. And, um, you know, just here and there, obviously the elements played a factor, but for the most part, he was Mike. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying, like just that group up front, the offensive line takes on the number five run rushing defense in the country. And really, Dylan Johnson – uh, and then Tybo and Will also, Will's had that great 13-yard run. Mm-hmm. They were able to get plays when they needed to, and there were some big plays that the running game produced. Not only that, they also scored two rushing touchdowns. This team is balanced. They can do uh, what they want on offense, and I think that as the season has gone on, Mike has continued to get his numbers. He had 332 yards with two touchdowns through the air. This defense, this offense continues as they get into the teeth of their schedule, show 
more than they did, I think, against some of the lower competition. And you've seen that with 52 points against USC and, and now 35 against a really, really good defense. I think this team has a lot left uh, to show going into Corvallis uh, and then the Pac-12 championship very, very likely against Oregon again. Who are some guys uh, that you that you want to highlight from the offense, uh, Leah? like to highlight the tight end room again. Um, I think that they are really good at saving our bacon when we need a big play. Um, obviously at USC, it was Devin Culp. And last night it seemed like it was Jack Westover. And again, like uh, we have just been highlighting those guys all year long. And I think that position p- potentially maybe more than any other is really missing Jalen McMillan being on the field because they get less touches because they have to do more work when I think that he's not on the field, but um, they have been productive when they have been targeted and they really came through when we really needed it. So that was my standout was probably Jack. So going into last week, worrying about Jonah Ellis and his 11 and a half sacks, (laughs) that was the big, you know, the boogeyman on their defense. So I'm going to give you some stats here. Usually he's a pass rush grade is up in the eighties. Saturday it was 54. His run mm-hmm. defensive grade was 47.2. Wow. When going back and looking through the game, we had most of our success rushing to the right side over his end. Mm-hmm. They made a concerted effort to beat that dude up. He did he he got credited with a couple of hurries, but um never got home. And they ran him over a couple of times in the run game. There was a beautiful play where Troy um literally pulled all the way around right side and then sealed him and the linebackers in. And we got a nice run around end. They just had a really good plan for dealing with that guy. Sometimes they chipped him with a tight end. Sometimes a running back. Um, I think I think it's the hurries came against Will Nixon, and uh, and the running backs. But um, yeah, I thought they did an outstanding job of just making sure that, that dude didn't cause us any headaches. I was going to ask you about that because there was a few times and one of them ended up taking a, a Jeremy Bernard first down away. There are a few times where it looked like the running back was on an island against uh, their rushers. Why? I guess what's the idea behind that? Why would you? So what's that situation? For me personally, like when I call plays, if, if we're doing blitz pickup, I want the running back to have the easiest job possible. So I would like to see it like fan protection. So the tackles get the furthest outside guy, the running back steps up in the middle and the center can help out left or right. What they were doing is like sending him out more like scat protection where he's out on an Island with an outside linebacker or somebody or a safety who's blitzing. Um, Probably not the strength of a running back to do that instead of giving them like a, you know, the reason the left tackles get paid so much money because they're on Island. The guy's got a two way go. He can go wherever he wants. Um, if somebody blitzes through the A gap, you just put your head down and hunker down and stand them up until the quarterback can get rid of the ball. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting because that's what I think too. You you would rather have your running back kind of meet somebody they're usually used to meeting, right? Meet the meet a linebacker in the in the gap right there, right? Where you're used to that contact where you can you're not playing necessarily a guy who has a ton of moves to get around you and is much could be much bigger than you. I just I thought that was an interesting and, and sometimes didn't work out because, well for Washington. Yeah, sometimes just because they come late and it, it's hard to identify who you're getting. And sometimes they're coming out from wider out than what you expect. So you know it's just uh 
honestly, I haven't seen us do that a ton until recently. Uh, I feel like it's always a tight end on Max Vertek. It's always a mm-hmm. tight end on the outside and the running back inside. But I don't know. Maybe they thought it was uh, one of those situations where if they chipped the guy and got a piece of him, then he could go out into the pattern again. I don't know. The receivers were unbelievable. Uh, I, I after the game, they were they showed Rome's stat line, and my brother in law looks at me and goes, "That's kind of like a Randy Moss stat line." Like, yeah, it's kind of what he did. He he just out bullied the guys who were holding him uh, and made plays. He also finally got some calls there towards uh, the second half, as did Jalen Polk. Uh, Jeremy Bernard, a healthy Jeremy Bernard is is very good. Uh, the way that he runs after the catch, I think that you see the future Jalen McMillan now, which is going to be really, really impress- important for Washington going forward. That being said, you still feel the the present the the non presence of Jalen out there, uh, but Jeremy does do a lot of really good things that are very McMillan esque that I think are going to, as he you know he's almost played an entire year now uh, in this system. I think he's going to continue to be more of a factor going forward. So offense, fantastic, uh, almost on every level. 35 points against this defense with the opportunity uh, with a few opportunities missed. Uh, another one is Grady Gross. Of course, he that was definitely going to be a miss that was blocked, uh, but kicking two field goals that were not chip shots in that wind. Again, mm-hmm. he's just nails. Yeah, he's one of those guys where you don't even think about closing your eyes. Uh, shout out Kayla. He yeah. is, he is strong. And we were like, oh, is this, this going to be tough in this win? Because it wasn't just a slight wind. I was looking at those flags off the end of the goalposts and they were, some of them are going against the kick. Mm-hmm. So he was kicking against the wind and he would, they, they still had a lot of strength and they were right down the middle. So yeah. Love having him as our kicker. Yeah. on the one that was low, it just looked like a bad operation. It didn't look like it was ever going to get off the ground. Yeah. I was more upset though, because I, I called the miss in my, in my living room. I said, there's no way that we're going to go up two scores on these guys to make it easy. It's something, the wind or something weird is going to happen. And it did, but I was more pissed off than anything that we went conservative when we got down there and didn't just try to rip their hearts out. It was like, let's just run some clock and we'll get down there close. And like, yeah, dude, I think, I think we called QB power at one point and it was like, what are you guys mm-hmm. doing? The, the third down play where we went backwards was super, con- like, just very confusing as a fan to watch. It didn't make a lot of sense. It was just sort of like, hey, let's get in the middle of the field. Like, this is not the day to mess around with field goals. Like, you should have been attacking from the start. Like, they got all the way down there. You might as well just punch it in. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things could have happened. We could have been up by a lot more. But, you know, defense found a way. Speaking of the defense, who are uh, who's your player of the game on that side of the ball? Man, it's always it's always going to be like Braylon Trice is going to be in the mix, and I felt yeah. like he was so disruptive, and he finally got you know after getting tackled a few times, they're like maybe we should throw a flag. Yeah, you know, Dom had that one bust in coverage, but obviously he came up with a game winning interception. He was physical the whole time, but you know, I mean, <laughs> if we're talking about like you know, really standout defenders. I mean, it's either Trice or, you know, I thought Raylan had some some good moments too, but I, I think Braylon Trice. All right. You took you took my trail in Bryce. 
All right. I think it's going to be Carson Bruner or Dom for me. Um, Carson was just in the mix. He just has a nose for the football. Um, he made the tackle for the safety, I think, right? Yeah, he was right in there for that. So um, that puts two more points on the board to have us go up seven. So that's going to be my winner. Although, like, obviously, Dom got the game winning interception he's always in the mix there but I, I think Carson's probably an underappreciated guy and so I'm going to give him the nod tonight yeah I'm going to go you can tell when Tuli Latu Gosano was in the game he looked better than he did uh, against USC I think he's getting healthy and I think that just helps that interior line so much because right now it really is kind of four guys plus the Parker brother. Like there's just, and then some of the edge guys, the bigger edge guys, uh, Sakai and Voy in the middle at points too. Having Thule able to, you know, give you 30, hopefully next week, 40 snaps. That just really helps out, especially uh, Fatua Tutele, who had a, a big tackle at one point during the game and uh, Jacob Bandis as well. So I think that, having him back was was very very important i said 100 we need him to be to be there and, and get as many snaps as possible yeah for sure um and so that puts a wrap on utah uh thank god they got out of there with a win 10 and 0 washington dominated that matchup in the pac 12 uh but i felt like there was very few easy wins especially over the last six years I think back to when Jake Browning lost to him. Uh, I think back to the Pac-12 championship, Dante Pettis's return to beat him. There mm-hmm. wasn't a lot. Uh, 2020 uh, with uh, uh, Trent McDuffie picking it off uh, at the end after the huge comeback. <laughs> Just like great games. And then the game that Washington was going to go into overtime with them. And somehow they won after like Jake Browning was helicoptered out of the air. Yes. Uh, and Tristan Viscano had the game. Vis- kick. Yeah. Just beautiful. What great matchups. Um, just articulating those. It's no wonder why Utah hates us, Trev. Yeah. I mean, those are just heartbreakers. And I'm just going to say this right now, the 2015 game that we lost. Oh, oh terrible phantom holding call on the long run that got called back um was still- it josh perkins on the offensive pi there was a there was a long run by gaskin and it got called back and it was a hold and it was absolutely not a hold but yeah you might be right on that other one as well and then uh 2016 dante pettis punt return yeah that was delicious 2017 the will disley coming out party mm-hmm fourth quarter uh, thoughts and prayers to Britton Covey because uh, the Washington Huskies have absolutely owned him but yeah. no it's it's been just as a, on a personal level really satisfying to go eight and two in the Pac-12 era against Kyle Winningham and the Utah Utes uh, there's no love lost between me and that school so thank you very much UW for that yeah and but outside of that like I just I've I respect that program so much mm-hmm. I respect Kyle Winningham the only teams that he seemed to struggle with was Washington. And I think he has a losing record against Oregon, but outside of that, he, he brought a team from uh, the mountain West and made them a perennial power in the PAC 12 uh, eclipsing anything that Cal ever did in the conference. 
um, eclipsing any, you know, a, a sustained winning that you didn't see at the Arizona schools dominating USC for, it feels like the last five years. And of course, some of that is <laughs> Clay Helton was there for a lot of that, but going to Salt Lake city was always really, really hard. They had the fan base is wild. It's a great home field advantage. I think they're going to dominate the pack, the big 12. I completely agree. I think there's been some gifts out there, some memes saying that they're going to be the new whipping team in that conference. And it's like, no, I think you have that backwards. They're going to come in. They're they're not like they came into the Pac-12 where they were coming from the Mountain West. They're coming from a team from a conference where they've had to play Oregon, Washington, SC, Stanford, UCLA, the Arizonas. They're battle tested and they're going to come to that new conference with a vengeance. And now that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be there. I would absolutely pick Utah. My only thing is how long does Kyle want to keep coaching? Because once he leaves, once he leaves, it's kind of up in the air, but there's been some hints over the last couple of years that he may be thinking it more along the lines of how long am I going to do this? But um, yeah, I mean, they're set up for a while. They're always physical. They always play a certain brand of football and uh, they get Cam rising back next year, which will help a lot. Yeah. And, Andy Ludwig is pretty uh, under the radar, really a good offensive coordinator, especially dealing with what really the hand they've been dealt this year with all of the injuries. So they finally found a quarterback, which was kind of the bugaboo for them for a long time in a power conference. And I think you're going to dominate. And frankly, I'll root for him in the big 12 because I just because of conference affiliation i i can't stand the fact that they somehow survived and the pac-12 didn't moving on washington stays at number five in the ap poll and the coaches poll which isn't you know that surprising to me washington's resume continues to build and get better as arizona keeps winning um as washington has now beat three current uh, uh ranked opponents and, and f- the fourth if you count usc when they beat them the strength of schedule right now, I think, warrants them uh, the number three spot behind Georgia and Ohio State. We'll see if that happens. But, I mean, do you think anything's going to change? Absolutely not. I think that the thing that needs to change is that Washington needs to at least be in the four spot, considering they beat Utah by the same margin that florida state beat miami by and the difference being that we played an 18 ranked team and they played somebody that wasn't ranked at all and they their line i i don't remember what it was but i think it was two touchdowns or more and they won by seven and ours was eight and a half nine we won by seven so the eye test that they like to talk about so much is that washington's improving and florida state isn't and that should be telling more so than the the thing that they're hyper fixated on, which is our near misses against ASU and Stanford, which have been now three weeks old. And we went, we followed that up by winning at USC by 10 points and home against Utah by seven. So I would think that Washington is more than worthy of being number four spot. I'd love to see him at number three, Trevor, but I think that we're going to be at number five again. What do you think, coach? I was just laughing at something I saw and it was tweeted out by the account West Coast uh, College Football. Yeah. This morning. And it was a screenshot of what they said after each USC game the last couple of weeks. So last week it was the magical season continues. Washington stays alive, stays alive with a 52 42 win in LA over USC. Mm-hmm. 
last night after Oregon beat them by single digits at home, Oregon bolsters their resume with another quality win. Another quality win as they take down USC 36-27 to improve to 9-1 and one on the season. What other quality wins are they referencing? Can you count the uh the loss that was actually a win, Coach? I mean, I guess I didn't. I, I assume <laughs> that's, that, that's, you know, that's really unfair. You should be ashamed. Yeah. So even you know, it just seems like it's always some kind of stupid narrative. We talk about it every week. It seems we're going to stay at five. Hopefully, we don't drop to six with Oregon's rousing victory at home against USC after we just beat them on the road. What it's going to come down to is. You know, next week, two top 10 teams. What will they say if we go on the road and be a top 10 team? Again, well, I guess this is the first top 10 team, but yeah. I mean, because Oregon's not going to get a road top 10 win because they're playing in Autzen. And then if they if we meet them, which seems like basically an inevitability at this point in the conference championship game, that's not a road win. That is a neutral site win. So they don't have any at all. They're, they talked about on the last episode of the college football playoff breakdown was that Oregon really doesn't have very many quality wins. Yeah, that narrative is starting, and uh, I'm kind of here for it. But now it's over because, as you can as you mm-hmm. can follow, everybody was super impressed that they just squeaked by USC at home last night. Well, yeah, they, we're, yeah they, they did not look great, especially in the second half. Let's pray for some some desert magic this week, Coach, in Tempe as the Ducks travel to Tempe. Let's let's just, you know what? Arizona State brought some magic down to Pasadena. Let's see if they can carry it forward to home and play the Ducks with some extra juice in their step. And I'm starting to look at clinching a spot in the championship. And obviously, if Washington beats Oregon State, they're in. Oregon State would essentially be out unless Oregon somehow drops a game uh, against Arizona state, which Arizona state has done that before to a really good team. See last year, Arizona still alive. If somehow Oregon state beats Oregon next week and you Arizona wins out, there's, I guess there's some sort of rabbit hole that could give Arizona that win. Uh, Other than that, I think we're down to, those three team, those four teams uh, still have a path. Am I missing anybody? I don't think so. It's highly likely that we're already in, but we just, we can't lose the next two. Well, at this point, losing, losing this week would be, would not be as bad as losing the championship as weird as that sounds. Um, because you still go in as a one loss team and win the championship. That's great. But the reality is Washington, and it's the narrative that I've gone back to over and over again, Washington came back to go to a national championship. The guys decided not to go to the NFL to be in the final four. This is the next test on their road to do that. And every all 10 tests before they've passed. So I, um, agree. I, just, I, feel I like don't see them losing this game. It's going to be, it's going to be wild and fun. I, I might regret saying this, but I just feel like we did not play our best um, against Utah. We just didn't. I mean, we played pretty well at times and looked like absolutely the better team the whole game. But I felt like we were missing a little bit of 
just whatever we need, like extra in terms of energy, in terms of just desire. And I think it's going to be all there because they know, I think this team just gets really fired up to play good teams. And Oregon State is absolutely that. They are extremely well coached. Um, a lot of respect for Jonathan Smith. And um, this is like, you know, one of the last steps we have towards getting a Pac-12 championship and getting that undefeated absolutely ensures our place in the college football playoff. And you can't have even the sniff of the college football playoff unless you give yourself the best chance to get there. And the next step to is one and oh and being eleven and oh um after Corvallis. So they know the job ahead of them. I fully expect them to play some of their best football on Saturday. I have I have some confidence now. I won't have that during game time. I'm not guaranteeing that at all. <laughs> Coach, final word. You know, um going on the road, um as small as that stadium is it's going to be packed and they're going to be out for blood because they still blame us for the whole conference to you know conference leaving you know saying goodbye whatever they blame us for that they blame Oregon for that um they want to give us their best shot and uh I think we will get it my biggest concern is just not having bus in coverage because we're going to have to sell out to stop the run we're going to have to pay a lot of attention to the run game. And then, you know, DJ Ungalale, you know, off play action, you know, he's erratic at times, but sometimes he gets hot. And if you're not in position, they can hurt you over the top. I don't think their defense is as good as it was last year. I still think we'll be able to score on them as long as the weather is, is you know, somewhat normal. It's supposed really, to be. I don't really see um, that defense being able to hold us down. And Utah was a much better defensive club. And we they were lucky to hold us to 35. I think we kind of held ourselves to 35, to be honest with you. I, I would agree with that. I think it's going to be a win. It's going to be, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be normal because I don't think we played a clean game in a long time. But in the end, all that matters is that you score more points than the other team. Right now, Washington is a, is a one-point favorite in Corvallis. Oh, the line moved. It was two and a half to open. Yeah, right now it's at one, even. At one point earlier today, I think it was that even, and then, yeah, it shifted to one later. But We'll be back to talk about it. You guys will hear it Thursday. For Trevor Mueller, Coach V, UW, go dogs. Go dogs. Red jello is Utah tears. Go dogs. <laughs>